Well, it's good to see you here uh, this morning. We've been taking some time uh, over the last few weeks as we started our Irresistible Influence uh, campaign just to answer a few questions right at the start. And uh, a lot of you have uh, asked some really good questions. And we really believe that if uh, a few of you have some questions, there's a good chance that uh, several more of you are maybe wondering the same things and you just haven't had an opportunity uh, to ask. And so I'm going to answer just uh, two or three of those uh, this morning. The first one was this, and I heard this at several life groups that I've been to over the last couple weeks. As we continue to grow, how will we maintain the relational side of Northwest? It's a very legitimate concern. You know, it's interesting for some of us um, that are here this morning, uh, we can remember to be in six, eight, ten people. (laughs) So, which would have been like these middle school guys right up here, right? And so, obviously, we're a church of about 500 now, and as we've seen that happen, We've watched this process of, I used to say hello and goodbye to every person that came to Northwest every Sunday morning. And I liked that. And I would know who wasn't there and and all of that. And it was easy to stay in in connection with people. But I want you to know this, that from day one, we have valued relationships. We valued the idea of being a place where people feel like they belong. In fact, every Sunday morning when you drive up outside, you you see those flags flying, and one of them in particular says what? It says, belonging, belonging. We want this to be a place where you feel like you belong. And so since we valued that from day one, you can rest assured that as long as our current leadership is intact, we will value belonging in the days to come. We put an incredible amount of energy into our life groups, and we will continue to do that uh, in the days to come because We believe that people were not meant to live lives on islands all by themselves, but were meant to live life in community. And so you can rest assured that we are going to to continue to value that in the days to come, even as God continues to grow our body. Number two is how do we make a pledge? What a great question. Glad you asked that question. Hopefully this week, if you're a regular attender of Northwest, you got a big envelope in the mail. And uh, it was pretty obvious, hopefully, after a few weeks of this, what that was all about. And uh, inside there was a pledge card. You'll notice on the pledge card, it gives you two different opportunities. One is to make a pledge with a kickstart gift, which says, I will give this in cash on the 23rd. That helps us get a good start. It also helps uh, the bank to see that we're serious about this. And uh, it gives us some money to start the process for uh, our construction uh, loan. And then the second part of that pledge card allows you to state what you might be able to give over the next three years. And then you total those together, and that's your pledge. We'll be doing that on the 23rd. I know a number of you probably can't be here on the 23rd. And if you can't be here on the 23rd, you can obviously get that to us uh, earlier. But that's how you pledge. You can also uh, pledge uh, online uh, as well. Question number three is, what does the phrase creative business partnership mean that's used in the brochure? It doesn't mean like you're all going to become Amway distributors or something of the like, all right? You ever been at a mall and somebody says to you, hey, you know, and you start talking and you think, this person likes me. And then you realize, no, they're an Amway distributor and they want me to be. I fell for that in my late 20s. Never, ever, ever again. Never again. Uh, Don't worry about it. We're not having a creative business partnership like that. Some of you will remember that when we uh, started out, talking about this piece of land that we believe God had led us to. It's a 60-acre piece of land. We knew we didn't need 60 acres. We knew we couldn't afford 60 acres. And uh, we were going to look for a a builder-developer to partner with us 
to take about 35 acres of that land, and that's what we've done. And so in that sense, they are our business uh, partner. We could have gone and looked for another piece of land, a smaller piece of land that maybe needed a partner. This partnership, as we shared with you on the 23rd, has uh, been really great uh, for us uh, thus far, and we're really excited about that uh, moving forward, but that's uh, what we mean. So hey, keep asking uh, questions. If you're uh, in a life group and I haven't been to your life group, I'll be there. Thanks for those of you that have taken the time to be at those meetings. I think it's really important for us to be able to interact with you on a, uh, in just a small group, and that's been really great. If you're interested, you're not currently in a life group, maybe you're new, and you'd like to interact in a little bit more of a small group setting, you'd like to know a little bit more, and you have questions, we'll be hosting a time at our house uh, tomorrow night. There's information that's online and at our information desk, and we'd be happy for you to, to sign up and be a part of that. But thanks for asking the questions. Keep asking them, and uh, we'll, keep, uh, we'll keep answering them as you... Uh, as your partner with us uh, in this Irresistible Influence uh, campaign. Well, I read uh, with great interest a story this week that was reported by an overseas missionary fellowship missionary at his home church. Listen as I read his story. While serving at a small field hospital in Africa, I traveled every two weeks through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. This requires camping overnight halfway. On one of these trips, I saw two men fighting in the city. One was seriously hurt, so I treated him and witnessed to him about the Lord. I then returned home without incident. Upon arriving in the city several weeks later, I was approached by the man I had treated earlier. He told me he had known that I carried money and medicine. He said, some friends and I followed you into the jungle, knowing you would camp overnight. We waited for you to go to sleep and planned to kill you and take your money and the drugs. Just as we were about to move into your campsite, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 armed guards. I laughed at this and said I was certainly all alone out in the jungle campsite that night. The young man pressed the point. No, sir, he said. I was not the only one to see the guards. My five friends also saw them, and we all counted them. It was because of those guards that we were afraid, and we left you alone. At this point of the church presentation in Michigan, One of the men in the church stood up and interrupted the missionary. He asked, can you tell me the exact date when this happened? The missionary thought for a while and then recalled the date. The man in the congregation then gave his side of the story. He stated, on that night in Africa, it was day here, I was preparing to play golf. As I put my bags in the car, I felt the Lord leading me to pray for you. In fact, he said, the urging was so great that I called men of this church together to pray for you. Will all of those men who met to pray please stand, he asked. The men who had met that day to pray together stood. There were 26 of them. That's what I said, wow. You know, I thought about that as I read that story this week, and I thought, I really have an intense desire personally to see God answer prayer, to see God use me as an instrument, as a tool of his grace, of his mercy, of his ministry to other people as I pray, as I intercede for other people on my behalf, on behalf of my family, of our church. I want to see God use my prayer life in that way. Anybody else agree with me there? And you know, here's, here's the true part of that. From the beginning of the Bible, Until the very end, we see undeniable evidence that God answers the prayers of his people. And yet some of us are not nearly as convinced as we should be 
that we ought to be praying people. Do you know if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, meaning you are trusting in Christ alone as your personal Savior, you have the greatest resource available to you that mankind could have ever, ever, ever comprehended, and that is direct access to the throne of God. That's an awesome, awesome thing. And we see all the way throughout Scripture that things that seemed impossible, things happened when God's people prayed. For example, prayer opened the Red Sea. And then people, if you remember, didn't walk across on mucky, wet ground, right? They walked across on dry ground. Prayer brought water from a rock, and if, if that's not special enough to you, it also brought bread manna from the sky. Prayer made the sun stand still. Prayer brought fire down. You remember on Elijah's sacrifice when it was drenched with water, literally water was puddled up all along it, and Elijah prayed that God might consume his sacrifice, and what did God do? God consumed up the sacrifice. In fact, the text says not only the water, but the rocks as well. It's powerful. Prayer prepared the heart of a king to listen to Nehemiah when he was scared. Prayer overthrew armies and healed the sick. Prayer raised the dead, and no doubt prayer has paved the way for literally tens of millions of people to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It is true and undeniable that prayer changes things. Here's, here's the problem, I think, for many of us as Christians, as Christ followers, and non-Christians. We have twisted ideas regarding prayer, don't we? Some of us have really never had a prayer life that is of any significance, and so, therefore, we use prayer as an excuse for not wanting to serve in ministry, right? Somebody says, hey, will you help work in the kids' ministry? And you say, I'll pray about it. And then you go home and you pray about it, and God says, no, I do not want you working with those children. That would be a bad idea. Really? We, we, we use prayer as an excuse. I, I'm, I'm oftentimes amazed that God must sit up in heaven sometimes as we tell people we prayed about it and what God said, that God must be at some points going, no, I didn't say that. Stop. Don't blame me. Take responsibility for your own flawed actions. Don't blame me. I'm the God of the universe. I really think that happens from time to time. How embarrassed would some of us be if from time to time when we said those things, God slipped down from heaven and he went, hey, just for the record, I didn't say that. On with what you want to say. And then kind of went off again. If I was God, aren't you glad I'm not? I would do things like that. We say things like this. Well, I guess we can't do anything else but pray. It really is a child of the God of the universe who you know you have direct access to him through Jesus. You say, well, I guess we've done everything we can do. Now we'll just pray. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian. God listens to everybody. Just call on him when you need him. Jesus, take the wheel. Mind the old country song, right? Jesus, take the wheel. I don't, just in my moment of need, granddaddy's up there in the sky and somehow he's going to take care of me. When tragedy strikes, pray. It's amazing how our nation turns its back on God and then national tragedy strikes and what happens with our political leaders? They call on us to do what? To pray. Students, can you relate to this? If you didn't study for the test, do what? You pray. That's what you do, man. I availed myself of that very often. 
And I tried to convince God that, God, if you will show me grace and mercy at this particular moment, I promise I will never do this again. And I'd always pray that prayer again. For the pastor, we have flawed ideas with prayer like this, that if you forget to say something in your sermon, then the prayer at the end, have you noticed this? Yeah, it's kind of a catch-all for it then, right? If I forget to say something to you, then I just kind of preach the message in the prayer. I kind of wrap it all up for you. As if God's going, why are you using this as an excuse to summarize your sermon? Why not summarize and then pray? If your team is down by two touchdowns or 20 points as last night, what do you do at the end of the game? You pray. Like somehow God's sitting up in heaven and he really cares whether Carolina or Duke wins. I know some of you think he does, but I'm not so convinced that he does. How about this? If you want it, name it, claim it, it's yours. That's really popular. It's being preached all over this country and all over this globe this morning. That that is why we pray. We pray in order that God might do what we want him to do, rather than understanding that prayer is simply this. If you have a pen, write this down. It is having a conversation with God which results in my will and my desires and plans being conformed or aligned to his. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not you begging that somehow God will do what you selfishly want him to do. That is why we pray consistently here at Northwest. We pray for what we believe would be a good thing, but we pray and we're careful to pray that we want God's will to be done, not our own. Because I don't see the big picture, do you? So often I see through a tunnel, I see through a, a glass. I don't see clearly. And yet God does. Have you asked, ever asked yourself this question? I know many of you have. Why even pray? Can we change God's mind? Now, if I could answer that question for you this morning so that you walked out of here with great assurance, you would probably say, man, this is one of the best church services I've ever been to. I envy people, in fact, who can pray simple prayers without having to fully understand how God works as a result of prayer. That's the way children pray, isn't it? Children just pray like God can do anything. He can, right? That's the way kids pray. They don't have to understand all the theology. They just know and believe and understand that God does something when I pray. But can we change God's mind? Here's what is doctrinally theologically correct, when we look at the attributes of God, we know that God is immutable. Okay, Big word, but it basically just means that he's unchangeable. God said, in fact, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, I am that I am. In Malachi 3, 6, he said, I am the Lord and I change not. It signifies his eternal sameness and his sovereignty. He can't change his moral character. He can't change his love. He can't change his omniscience, his compassion, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. And aren't you glad that that's true, that God doesn't change? What a horrible way that would be to have a God who changed his mind, knowing that we are messed up people and that God could change his mind and go, eh, I think I'll do things this way. I think I'll change the rules. From everlasting to everlasting, the psalmist said, you're God. Who he is does not change, but what he does can evidently be influenced by prayer. And I don't totally understand that, but, you know, James says that we don't have, why? 
because we don't ask, which would imply that if you did ask, you might have, but since you don't ask, you don't. So therefore, God may choose to act based on what you ask him for. Paul asked people to pray that the message of the Lord would spread rapidly. He evidently believed that if people prayed and if people agreed together with God and they sought God on that particular point, that maybe people would come to know the Lord more rapidly. Why would James and Paul make those requests if they didn't believe that their prayer had the power to change circumstances? It's a good question, right? We have to come to the conclusion that evidently our prayers do make a difference to God. The 20th century theologian Karl Barth, who pounded the home uh, uh, theme of God's sovereignty, uh, saw no contradiction in a God who chooses to be affected by his prayers. Now, some of you here this morning, you may classify yourself as a Calvinist. Uh, Some of you may have flawed theology and may lean Arminian. Wherever you are, the, the, the Calvinist would say, God is sovereign. Hey, okay, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, right? It's just gonna happen. I've actually worked with other pastors who lived that way. Everything they did, if it was a mistake, it's God's sovereignty. Again, I think God's going, don't blame your stupidity on my sovereignty. All right? But we believe in the sovereignty of God, but we also believe that God allows us to be part of that process. Karl Barth wrote this. He's not deaf. He listens speaking of God. And he said, more than that, he acts. He does not act in the same way whether we pray or not. Prayer exerts an influence upon God's action, even upon his existence. That is what the word answer means. He continues, the fact that God yields to man's petitions, changing his intentions in response to man's prayer is not a sign of weakness. He himself and the glory of his majesty and power has so willed it. So why pray? Evidently, God likes to be asked. Now, moms and dads, think about this with with me today. Don't you like it when your kids ask for something rather than just assume that you'll do something for them? I do. I don't know what it is about that, and I probably wouldn't have understood that before I was a parent, but I like to be asked. Maybe for some, as a human parent, maybe it's just, I like to know that you are dependent upon me which I probably is not a good thing. It's probably my own pride in my own self. But I kind of like to know that my 21-year-old son, when he asks me for something, even though he's 21, he still feels some type of relationship and dependence upon me. And when he asks me for that, you know what I do? I delight, if I can, on doing what? On giving it to him. God certainly doesn't need our wisdom and our knowledge, nor even the information that is contained in our prayers. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he evidently wants intimacy with us. He wants relationship with us. He wants us to talk with him. And so we're to go to God just like a child goes to a loving father. We admit our dependence upon him and we make known our request. And then we understand that the final decision is up to God. In that time with God, we come away with a better understanding then of his sovereignty and his power contrasted with our very limited understanding and power. Have you ever prayed for something and then been glad later on that God didn't give you what you prayed for? I've done that on a regular basis. In fact, I've had to thank God on a regular basis. Thank you for not giving me what I thought was so good for me. I remember when I met Diana in October of 1989 and I thought about all the girls that I'd dated before. 
most of which had not wanted to have, pursue a relationship with me after dating me for a very short time, period of time. And I remember praying sometimes, God, I love her, I want <laughs> And then I met Diana. And I remember thinking, God, thanks for not giving me what I thought I wanted. And now I see some of those girls on Facebook and I think, thank you, Jesus, for not doing that. Not really, only a couple of them. And they don't know that I feel that way. And I'm sure they look at my pictures and think the same thing. But when we spend time with God in prayer, we have a better understanding of his sovereignty and his power contrasted with our very limited understanding and power. I'll readily admit to you this morning that I don't understand this concept about how, we, how, how, how God is moved by the prayers of his people, but I love that he is, and it's so obvious in Scripture that he chooses to work in that way. He chooses to be a sovereign, all-powerful God, and yet he wants intimacy with us, and so therefore he lets us be part of that process. In fact, Philip Yancey put it this way, I like this. By using prayer rather than any other more direct means, God once again chooses the most freedom-enhancing style of acting in the world. God wants to be asked. Philip Yancey went on to say, in some inscrutable way, making God's activity on earth contingent upon us. Here's the bottom line. When God's sovereignty declares that he's going to do something or he's not going to do something, all the prayers in the world are not going to change the mind of Christ. We must understand that God, though, not only ordains the ends, but he ordains the means to those ends. And very often we get to be part of that process. Now, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew chapter 6, and um, we're, we're not going to do it justice. I, I'd like to do a six-week uh, series on the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to do it in about 10 minutes, all right? So... I'm just going to tell you, we're just going to go through very quickly, but I want to do this because I believe, you know, Jesus is the greatest example for us in all things, obviously, related to life. That's why he came and he lived amongst us. But there's probably no greater area that he is an example than in our prayer lives. And it's certainly no exaggeration to say that everything that Jesus did while he was here on earth was undergirded and empowered by prayer. And he often talked about prayer, and he frequently modeled it. He was frequently an example of that to his disciples and to others. Someone has said, in fact, that it's an interesting point that Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but he taught them how to pray. That's very intriguing to me because you would think as he was going to send these group of really misfit people out to spread the good news of the gospel that he would say now here's the best method here's how you really grasp people's attention yet he never taught them how to preach he just taught them how to pray evidently it was more important that they know how to speak to him than that they know how to speak to people and so Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 he wrote this and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their rewards. So we know who the audience should be in our prayer, right? That's God. It's not for a show. It's not for others. I wonder how many of us, the only time that we pray is when we're in public with other people, whether that be at a dinner table, a lunch table, or 
we get to ask pray, get asked to uh, uh, open up or close in prayer at our at our Bible study or our life group. William Barclay points out that over the years a number of faults had crept into the Jews' prayer life. For one thing, prayer had become ritualized. The wording and forms of prayer were set and and were then simply read or repeated from memory, and such prayers could be given with almost no attention being paid to what was actually being said. They were just simply ritualistic experiences. Unless we be too hard on the early Jews, most of us, I fear, have fallen into that same trap, have we not? Dads, do you have your dinner prayer? Do you? Do you have your little prayer that you pray with your kids, mom, at night? It never changes. It's always the same thing as if you wrote it down or you memorized it when they were born and you're going to repeat it until you stop that process. We have a habit of doing the same things. I never forget when our boys were, were young. I remember one night putting one of them to bed. I don't remember which one it was. And as they started praying their little prayer, we were praying with them. And they started praying for their food, thanking God for their food. And I'm going, dude, wrong time. We're not, you know, you're looking under the covers going, do you have something in there, you know? Because I do in my room some nights. I'm just wondering if you, you have something in there? No, he just gotten into the habit of this is my little prayer, you know? God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food, amen. Let's dig in, right? Don't pray like that. Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. Your father who sees you in secret will reward you. The point Jesus is making here, by the way, is not that we're to pray in private always, but that we're not even to try to impress others with our prayers. I remember my dad telling me the story. He came to know the Lord when he was a senior in high school, and he said that he, he took this verse literally, and, and so he would go into his room and he'd shut the door, and he'd go into a closet. And you can imagine his little closets. He probably lived in a thousand square foot home. He'd go into that closet, shut the door, it'd be all dark. That's not what Jesus' point was. He was not so much talking about location as he was attitude. He was saying, whatever you need to do in order to get your attention off of you and off of other people and on to me alone, then you need to do that. And so for some of us, maybe we shouldn't pray in public. Maybe we should pray in private. When God is genuinely the audience of our prayer, we will have the reward that only he can give. And you say, well, what is that reward? What is that repayment? I don't know what that is, but I know God says, I will hear you and I will do what I think is best for you. The important truth is that God will faithfully and unfailingly bless those who come to him in sincerity. Verse 7, again, there's an assumption that you will pray. And when you pray, don't heap empty phrases on the, as the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard for many words. The attitude of the early church seemed to be, the longer we pray, the better. Let me just tell you, the longer you pray, in some cases, it gets worse. All right? If you find yourself continually, and I, I don't say this in a joking way, if you find yourself continually repeating yourself over and over and over again, phrases that in some cases you don't even understand the theological words that you're saying, Stop! Jesus isn't going to be impressed with the words that you speak to him that you don't understand. We're not going to be impressed when we hear you pray and you pray things that you don't understand. Pray like you're talking to your friend. It's nothing better for me than to hear a new believer pray to God. I love that, especially if they've never been in church. Because they don't know all the stuff. I've had high school kids say, I, I, I remember uh, when Dima our missionary who is, by the way, in Ukraine right now. I remember uh, Dima, when he prayed the night he trusted Christ, he said uh, something to this effect. Hey, God, 
It's like God was going to say, yes, Dima. And he just kind of waited a moment. And I felt like I needed to speak for God because I didn't know whether he was going to speak verbally. And he just said, so I'm Dima. And I thought, man, this is so awesome. He just thinks, man, prayer is just communication with God. And that's what it is. So don't say empty phrases. For your father knows what you have need of before you ask him. You know, God's never sitting up in heaven as we're praying going, really? I never knew that. Your mom's sick? I wish you would have told me. I have been so busy with all of the other needs in the universe that I, thanks for bringing it to my attention. God, I don't have money to pay my bills this month. Really? I'm so sorry. What happened? I mean, we've got to get this worked out. It's, it's kind of an interesting concept to think about, isn't it? He knows what you have need of before, you're asking, before we ask. And yet, for whatever reason, he wants us to talk to him. It gives me goosebumps on my arms. That's awesome. He wants us to communicate with him. He wants us to have intimacy with him. This is not just some ordinary conversation. This is the God of the universe that says, I already know what you're going to ask me, but ask me. I just want to talk with you. Paul said to young Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, I desire that in every place men should pray. I'm glad he said that. He said later when he wrote to the church at Thessaloniki, he said, pray without stopping, without ceasing. I love that. Because it's as if we're moving away from these ritualistic prayers, these memorized prayers, and we're moving into this relationship, as we'll see here in a moment, that we have with our spiritual father, our daddy in heaven. And, and, and he says, I, I, just, I want you to always be talking with me. And I'm glad for that because I've become convinced that, that so much of my prayer life is, is when I'm doing so many other things in my life and I'm talking to God. I'm convinced people drive down the road all the time and they see me and they think I need to be someplace, like in a, in a padded room. Because they go, there's nobody sitting with him. Tops down, they go, there's nobody in the car. He doesn't have a Bluetooth in. What's he doing? And I'm talking to Jesus. I'm talking to God. Sometimes I'm going, God, I don't understand why you did that. Like, and you know how I preach. I mean, I do the same thing, right? Why would you, you know? Lady's going, you know, there's help for you, Right? And then there's other times when I see God do something. Maybe you're like this too. And I'm in my car and I just go, God, that was so awesome. Like that was, even this past week, I've seen God do some things and, and I just go, that was just awesome. And somebody looks at me and goes, no, really, there, there's help. But that's what I think it means when he says prayer without, it, it, it's not I gotta get my prayer book out and let me, let me read something that somebody else wrote. It is communication with God and he wants that even though he knows what we need before we ask. And so his model prayer takes on two major points real quickly, God's glory and then man's need. First of all, God's glory, he said, then pray like this. Notice he says, doesn't say necessarily pray this. Don't fall into the trap that you believe that, that the Lord's prayer is the only prayer that you pray. In fact, this is really the disciples' prayer. He's saying, hey, use this as a model. Pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. He wants us to address him as Father, as, as Abba in the Aramaic, as, as Daddy. Over the centuries, the, the Jews, because of their disobedience to the Lord and their, and their flirtation with pagan gods, had lost a sense of God's intimate fatherhood. And it's as if Jesus now is reminding them to say, hey, guess what? He's your daddy. He's Abba. 
He's your father. Go to him and talk to him like you would a loving, kind, heavenly father. And through me, through Jesus, you have that ability to be able to do that. And so address him as father. I know this, children get the attention of their dads unlike any other relationship. When I look down at my phone, oftentimes I'm busy, I can't take a call, I send it to my voicemail, I very rarely will do that with my kids. I think God does the same thing with us. He wants to hear from us because he's our father. Hallowed be your name. An archaic English word that simply means your name is holy. It's his supreme attribute of of holiness that he, he, he always has been and always will be and it always will be supremely, uniquely his in that he is holy. He's not pursuing holiness as you and I are. He is holy. Verse 10, your kingdom come. To pray thy kingdom come is to pray for the program of the eternal deity to be fulfilled. For Christ to come and reign in your life and in our body as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And and that should be the preoccupation of our lives and of our prayers. And it's so easy for our prayers to become so self-focused, isn't it? That it's about us. It's about what we need. It's about what we think is best. It's about our will. And yet our purpose in this life is to bring glory to God with our lives. And that's only accomplished when we connect with him through prayer. And we understand what he wants us to do. And we become part of his will on this earth. He says, your will be done. We're praying that. God, I want your will to be done. Here's what I, what I think might be best. Here's what I think I want. But ultimately, I want your will to be done. We pray this continually at Northwest because I don't think I have a lock on what God's will is for your life or my life or for our lives. We pray, God, this is what we think we think would be best. This is what we desire. But at the end of the day, we want your will to be done for for our good and for your glory. By the way, praying that shows us that prayer is less about getting God on board with our agenda and making more about asking God to conform us to his agenda. Then he goes on and he talks about man's need. God certainly deserves his glory, and we need to acknowledge that, I believe, each time in prayer, but also we go to God because we need him. He says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. I think we lose this in our Western culture in the 21st century, and we think, bread, I got plenty of bread. I'm throwaway bread because I got mold on it. I mean, we got more in the freezer. and This is more than just bread, but it is symbolic of all physical needs. Martin Luther said it includes everything necessary for the preservation of this life. Food, physical health, shelter, children, peace. One pastor wrote that prayer is the antidote for the disease of self-confidence. You get to the point where you think you can do it all your own. Go and pray to the God that I just described and you'll realize without God, this universe falls apart, that we are totally, totally dependent upon him. And prayer allows us to find the antidote for our disease that we're inflicted with in our American culture called self-confidence. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as We also have forgiven our debtors. Scripture clearly indicates that God does not listen to or answer every prayer. In fact, our sin can hinder God's willingness to listen to us. Our inability or our unwillingness to forgive others can hinder that. You doubt that? James said, 
You ask and don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So evidently, when we have, a pers- when we have personal and selfish motives, God won't listen. David wrote in Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, what will happen? God won't hear me. How about this? 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers won't be hindered. Evidently, if you mistreat your spouse, God can simply go like this, talk to the hand because I'm not listening. It's amazing to me how many of us think that we can just pull God like he is a little genie out of a bottle anytime that we want him. We can live any way that we, le- we want. We can have unconfessed sin in our life which hinders our vertical relationship with the God of the universe. But yet when we need him, we pull him out of a bottle and we simply pray. Let me tell you, there are things obviously that can hinder God's willingness to listen to us. That word translated debts, in fact, in the original Greek language is the word that's most often translated sin. Our sin separates us from God and therefore is our greatest enemy and our greatest problem if we are really to communicate with God. Don't you dare say that you've talked to God and God's told you what to do. If you are living in unrepentant sin, don't do it. God is not communicating with you. You do not have fellowship with God. David made it very clear to us, if we regard, if we ignore iniquity in our hearts, God will not hear us. That's not my opinion. That's what God said. We're also supposed to forgive one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul wrote, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ's sake has forgiven you. He concludes by saying, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The implication of this part of the prayer seems to be, Lord, don't ever lead us into a trial that will present such a temptation that we won't be able to resist it. And so it's laying claim basically to the promise that Paul gave to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God is faithful who won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able, but will with the temptation provide a way way of escape that we might be able to bear it. God's glory, man's need. The only way for us to know and understand the will of God and to be part of the will of God and to have our will conform to his will, for those to become one, is when we have communion with God in prayer. It's only possible to know God's direction for our lives when we are connected to his heart. And prayer is one of the primary means that God has given us to connect with him and submit our lives to his will and to his kingdom. That's why we have to be people who are praying. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about what God might do in and through you if you were fully available, totally, completely no strings attached, ready to do whatever he asked you to do. Have you ever thought about what God might do? I think there are some of you that are sitting here this morning and you are so, so short-sighted that you have bought into Satan's idea that you are just an average nobody who has no capability of doing anything great for God or being part of his larger will and plan on this earth. And so you will just simply go through this life. You will eat, sleep, breathe, work, do whatever you need to do. And at the end, you will just die. And because you've trusted Jesus as your savior, you'll end up in heaven and eternity will be great. But until then... God can't use you. Let me tell you, that is a lie. 
God has something great and awesome and special for each one of us to do. He did not save us, as we talked about last week, so that we could just simply sit and soak and wait until that trumpet sounds. He saved us for his purposes, for his plan, in order that his will might be done on this earth. Maybe the reason why so many of us don't understand that is because we are not connected to the heart of God through prayer. Maybe we don't spend time in his word so that we spend time praying about things we don't even need to pray about. He's made it very clear to do or not to do something. I love what James said in James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? My translation, tons. A lot. God shows up. Big stuff happens. I know there are some people right now that are praying for this uh, uh, for this campaign in order that we might uh, build this building to be influence in this community. And I'm going, I'm glad I'm on their side. I'll tell you who one of them is. One of them is my mother-in-law. She's a woman of prayer. She prays. I tell Diana all the time, I, 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 I have a little bit of her, her money and, and I, I make some trades for her, some stock trades every once in a while. Every, every trade in her account does good. Doesn't happen in mine, I can tell you that. But in her account... Every single time. And I'll say to Diana, like, do your mom and dad, do they, do they just sit and pray that God might do this? Because I'm not that smart. I don't know. Something just happens. Are you connected like that to the heart of God so that when you pray, God goes, yeah, I'm going to use that means to that end that I've ordained. As we prepare to commit ourselves to this vision on March 23rd, I want you to commit to earnestly talking with God about your part in his mission through Northwest Community Church. Maybe like you never have before. Maybe for you it's going to be getting into your walk-in closet and doing some business with God. Take a little refrigerator in there if you've got a walk-in. You can put a little beanbag chair and you can just spend some time in there, all right? Maybe for you it's going to be driving down the road because you're putting a lot of miles on your car and you're just going to be crying out to God, God, how do, you want, how do you want me to be part of your will here on this earth? What do you want me to do? Because I want to be part of the mission. I don't buy into the idea that I've just been saved, just been, been left here just to sit and wait for a trumpet to blow. I want to be part of the mission. And the only way I can know that I'm part of the mission the only way that I will know what part I play in that is when I'm connected to the very heart of God vertically. One Puritan wrote this. Oh, that we were all Puritans. Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want it, and whenever you want it, that's what I want. <laughs> Isn't that good? Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want it, and whenever you want it, that's what I want. Maybe it'd be good to pray Something like this. I wrote this out this week. God, you are my king. You live in my heart. All I am, all I have, all I ever will be is because of what Jesus did for me on the cross and because you raised him from the grave. I want your kingdom principles and purposes to be lived out in my life. Make your will known to me on this earth while I live here with the sole purpose of bringing glory to you by pointing people to Jesus. <laughs> I'll tell you, a prayer like that connects you directly to the heart of God. That's the desire of your heart. I've asked Matt to come and, and lead us in prayer.
in that way for these things that are so much on our hearts these days. I'm going to say too, Matt, before you pray, because I forgot to do this in the first service and totally off topic, but this is very important. There was a, a young man, senior in high school here at Panther Creek, that took his life on Friday night and um, touched our family. We found this out early Saturday morning. It was a friend of Justin's, and um, I, I just can't imagine. And I know if you're a parent here, you just, your heart just breaks. And just in a speech class this last, just a few weeks ago, right, a few months ago, he gave a speech, and the first line of his speech was, my name's Josh, I've tried to take my life four times. And um, he talked about how he was in a better place and, and doing well, evidently not so well. He uh, took a gun out at Briar Creek on uh, Friday night and took his life about 6 o'clock. And um, in that speech class, we believe that speech teacher, by the way, is a, is a follower of Jesus. And there's going to be some probably pretty unique opportunities this week in those classes for that teacher. So um, I know his name was Josh. I don't know the name of the family, but, uh, but let's, um, uh, let's, pray. let's pray for that family today, too, as we close. All right, would you stand with me? God, you are simply holy and you are simply good. And Lord, the cool thing about that is that you never change, as we learned today. You are unchangeable. You are good, you are great, you are right, you are just, you are hallowed, as we say. You are different, you are separate. There is no one, no one like you. And we're so grateful to that. And because, Lord, you say, come to me that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, we come to you, God, because we want to have rest, but we want to have purpose, and we want to have our purpose be defined for us. You left us here, you've kept us here. We... We are here for a reason, and we're grateful that you've given us this discipline of prayer, this, this way to communicate with you that is possible when we repent of our sins and place our faith in you, and when we are close to you and clean with you, that, God, you hear us, and you rejoice when we call out on you, and you'll never tell us to go away. We can keep pestering and keep pestering, but, Lord, you hear us. And it pleases you when we come to you. And so, Lord, I'm grateful that we can serve a God that hears every single one of our prayers. And, Lord, collectively right now as a body, I pray for this, this family, the family of Josh. Josh is going through a really tough time. And, Lord, I pray for this speech teacher. And I pray for the school this week. And I pray that you would be with the believers, the teachers who are believers in this school, as well as the, the, the Christians, to be able to really encourage people to help them understand that you are the light of the world. Josh was in a dark place. But God, we pray that we would be able to use this as a church, as our students, as a community, to help people see that the greatest truth in the world is that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and help us never to get over or get past that. And Lord, continue to use us and, and help us to understand what it means to be influencers in our community, to have irresistible influence. Uh, Lord, we, we have the things that we have because you have overwhelmed us and given them to us. Help us to not just see that those things are for our good and our glory, but they are for you. They are for the fame of your great name. They are to help us be a small part of something much bigger than ourselves and help us never to forget that. And at the end of the day, God, I pray that those of us that are in here today would be encouraged about what it means to communicate with you, what it means to have an ongoing, deep prayer life with you. And also, Lord, for those of us that maybe might be struggling with the discipline of prayer, it seems very cloudy. 
I pray that today would be an opportunity for us to come clean before you so that we can talk to you and so ultimately we can hear what it is that you're telling us to do. We can be that witness in our workplace. We can be that witness in our school. We can be that husband and, 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 and father to our kids and that wife and that mother to our kids. And at the end of the day, you and ultimately you are honored in everything we say and do. And Lord, right now, we just want to conclude our service with an opportunity to celebrate through just singing to you because you deserve it. And you are great and you are awesome. And we thank you for being that. Thank you for loving us and thank you for Jesus who died for us so that we could talk to you and know you as our father. In Jesus' name, amen.